Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. You know, you, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce, of UNC Asheville to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap cheapo cars and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then. The guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. You're listening to Made in Level Cross, presented by Christine Arts. I'm Thad Moffitt. And I'm Owen George. And today joining us is a very special guest, Greg Stetson. Greg, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Greg Stedman, and I've worked at Petty Enterprises, Petty's Garage, since 1994. Uh, I've done a lot of jobs here. So currently the COO of Petty's Garage. So what do you guys want to talk about today? Everything, Greg. We we <laughs> want to get into the nitty gritty of your life. There's uh, a lot of stories we can't tell. There's a lot of stories we probably can't tell. But let's start with uh, growing up. So you grew up. I've I've got to work with you a little bit over the past year and a half, and got to know you a little bit. And I know you good enough to know you grew up down in Florida. So how did you end up in small town uh, level cross? What intrigued you to get up here? Grew up 
uh, racing family. My dad was in NASCAR. My the rest of my aunts and uncles and everybody we have is was some form of a car person. From the time I was ten years old, I think I went to a drag strip every day of uh, every weekend, and and did drag racing through those years because that was what that that's what they did at that current time, right? So they were involved in circle track racing at some point, but so doing that we traveled to the racetrack and and did that. And interesting enough, this is a very small world. And one of my uncles, Terry Kimball, he actually dated Colleen Loomis, which was Robbie's sister. Wow. (laughs) So I met Robbie way back in the heyday when he was in uh, Florida working for for Gary Blue and those guys. That is a really small world. I did (laughs) not know that. So so when I decided uh, that I was going to get married and carry on, forward with a real life, I, I decided to get a real job. And, <laughs> and evidently that became, it was in racing. So I uh, had a little bit of an opportunity to do drag racing and I looked at the schedules of racing and the drag racers, they never really came home a lot. Sometimes they'd go to the West coast swing they go out and different things. So I was like, okay, well, being a newlywed, that's probably not going to fly very good. So the NASCAR circuit at that time, you left Thursday, you come home Sunday night mm. every week, pretty much. So that's where I sort of just took the contacts I knew and started asking around. Going back, I know your dad worked at Nichols Engineering. What do you remember about that? Nothing. Nothing. I was born there in maybe nine months old or so, maybe okay. or so when the petties come and shut us well, down. That, that's what I, Thad and I were talking about it earlier. I How think that's, ironic. That's, most, that's the biggest irony of you now having a role here, having a role for this long is the very people that put your dad <laughs> out of a job, you know, now you're, you're leading the enterprise here. So I thought that was, that, that is a small world between Robbie Loomis and that. Yeah. You can't make that stuff up. No, Tex Powell <laughs> actually worked at Nichols when my dad was up what? there. No, so he wow. was Tessie. So Tex, Tex Powell, was, yeah. yeah, so Tex ended That's up crazy. there. So you said you traveled, or like NASCAR at the time, you traveled like Thursday through Sunday, but you were on the road and working in the shop, right? So it was like a Monday through Sunday job when you when you started with Petty Enterprises. Uh, in 94, 95, all the way through the early 2000, it was a little different atmosphere than what they have now yes because you went to the race you practice and qualified on friday you had to make the race and saturday was a practice for the race and then sunday was your race so yeah and and the teams were smaller you know the, the sponsorship wasn't as much in the late 90s early 90s late 90s as it was in the 2000s we're jumping ahead a little bit so it sounded like you were heavily involved with drag racing or at least your family was what got you into now like what made you want to going to NASCAR, was it be just all that circle track racing too that you grew up around or what, what attracted you? Competition in general and and cars. Um, Like I say, the drag racing side of it is extremely fun. I did a, I did that about three years when I left Petty's garage for a, for a brief time and drag racing is just exciting. It's, you know, quarter mile, everything's on the line. It's, where the NASCAR side of it is you're under that gun for the whole race or for the thing there, but they're just not that it's just a little different atmosphere and mm-hmm. just a different feeling on the, on the drag racing side. So the, the real reason, like I said, I did it was because it was a, a, a professional job, you know, you know, you get paid to do it like, like a normal job right. and insurance and, and all those things. 
and you could work on cars. So okay. why not go do that, right? Yeah. So you have a, a goal in mind. Was there a specific team you wanted to work for, or did the petty thing just happen vicariously? Yeah, the real story to... is I've been I've been going to school in Dayton, Cali, and okay. we went. I did the Ford Asset program and was going to get a job in a dealership, and I really didn't really didn't really think I wanted to pursue that. So I was working with one of my uncles doing construction. Like I said, with everybody we you know worked on houses, cars, something, you know, and then our, we got married in November 5th of 1994. The week after I was up here handing out resumes and December I was hired here. So there who, was no plan. There was no nothing. It was, so I'm you, going. You came up with resumes. <laughs> who else were you giving resumes to? Hutchinson Pagan, uh, Robert Yates Racing, any anybody and everybody. I just lived in an apartment. But it wasn't stories you hear in NASCAR, you know. You, but was it strictly NASCAR teams, or was it any any type of racing? NASCAR teams, NASCAR teams yeah. specifically. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So you got the call from who? From Petty? Do you recall? Robbie, one of the guys that okay, the mechanic. He had quit and went to uh, Bill Davis, and he called, and I think I'd I'd worked at the Precision Tune for a week, and I promptly loaded my toolbox and came here. Were you excited? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I ever really get too excited yeah um, it's 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 focus and and you know you want to win and you want to be good and you want to be part of somebody that's more or less saw it as an opportunity an opportunity right? to to be good at something and there was nothing about the petty though petty name that like got you really excited or was it just it was, uh, this is a really cool job no i mean it's we grew up watching and listening to it so you know it's a pretty big deal like, whether I don't, it was I don't... petty or whether it was robert yates or whether it was uh you know whoever else but no know? disrespect I mean, to robert yates i mean the petty name is just it, it's synonymous to greatness in nascar so yeah I, so I just growing up in this area though like even myself like if rick hendrick were to call me like that that's, that's that would, huge yeah that would be huge you know i mean it, it, richard petty rick hendrick joe gibbs yeah. like if any of them were to call me, like, I just top of the mountain right there. So, I mean, from – Greg is cool as a cucumber right now, though. He's like, yeah, I got a call from Petty, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> well, you take it as a challenge to can you be as good as what they are, I right? You, so, I mean, yeah. it's not really – it come in as a fan or anything, you know. It's sort of one of those things that, you know, this You're is going to be my work. living, and yep. I, I have to perform in order – Right. You know, I was going to be a tire changer and, and do those things. So, I mean, it was like exciting, but but still it's sort of a gut check. You know, hey, you're going to have to get after it. So what what's so you come here, you move, you move up here. Oh, right? yeah. OK. Yep. In level cross. Or? Yep. And Randleman, which is about probably yeah. five miles from here. OK. And what's your first day like? Do you recall that? Mm, spent all day up in the bus barn uh, <laughs> changing tires. I wore out about 30 nitrogen bottles. Probably. Oh, man. Dad, awesome. you know all about that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the bus barn. Yeah, I'm not well, the first to spend all day in the bus barn. So but. December was basically yeah, practicing tire changing. Yeah, yeah. So. I can speak from uh, working with Greg and and the experience. He kind of does just take everything. Like some things are are really exciting to me and a little overwhelming, and then I turn around and Greg's just working. He's just head down, you know, just making the most of the opportunity. So. I'll attest to that even back in the day, I guess. That's how it was when you first showed up. But one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what was your first interaction with Grandpa when you got here, and, and what was that like? With, with Richard, no, it was Dale and Robbie for the most part. Right. Richard sort of at that point. So 
I couldn't tell you the exact day or time or anything, really. It was more Dale Inman that was on top of you and, you know, pointing his finger in your chest or grabbing you on the arm and making sure you were doing right. Richard was in and out with that. Um, decals, what the car looked like, those types of things, you know, details of how high the hood pins were set and things of that. That was what Richard come by and mm-hmm. went out, you know, that, adjust that a little bit, move that a little bit, so those things really yeah who was the driver do you mean was it hamilton bobby 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 came on board at that time okay yeah i remember it wasn't too long ago you told me that you were you wrapped the what was it was it the 25th anniversary stp car yeah 95 would have been yeah yeah, was that 95 the anniversary years it sounds about right they came on board in 72 so but i thought that was neat that's a really cool looking paint scheme we had a lot of paint schemes a lot of different uniform changes so. And you still have a lot of his uniforms, right? Uh, yeah, I did. I've got quite a few of those things. And then a lot of it we actually donated to Victory Junction when they cool. when they started because they were looking for fundraiser items. That's awesome. So, you know, you go through the the hums of, of working here. Your first victory, right, was with Andretti, correct? You were on the... Bobby. Bobby oh, Phoenix. Okay, Bobby Phoenix. Gotcha. Yeah, and then Rockingham. Then Rockingham. Okay. Right. I think so. Phoenix yeah. the first one. Yeah. That sounds about right. What's it like being in victory lane? I, I mean, you see a lot of different things, but that's just, and Richard will tell you, that's what we got paid to do, mm-hmm. win races. And that's that was when the day we did our job, right? That was so, right. that's, you know, it's it's exciting for sure. But the next week you got to go do your job again. So that's the that's the fun part about it. My personality is just, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going every week and I'm going to, I want to win yep. and, and, and do the best you can to do it. Might not always work out, you know. There's a lot of circumstances that play into it, but when you leave the building, you better believe that you can do it, you know. So, I think one of the big milestones, if I can say this, I mean, John Andretti's win at Martinsville, yep. 1999. That was good. You, you were what position were you at that point? You were car uh, chief. Or? Car chief, still changing tires, um, part of the pit crew, and and just yeah, basically just hands on on a little bit of everything for the car. Why was that so special? I mean, people look back at that win and like that's a crowning achievement in in petty enterprises. Um, I think that was John's first win in NASCAR. Yeah, yep. Up there, for, but, for us, Martinsville was just one of those places that we wanted to go and sure. just win at. That was, I mean, from Robbie and Richard, and that was sort of the home home track for us, you know. And and we were really good there, and to go there and win, and it was always a fight: the two tires, the four tires, the long fuel runs. Just the way the track raced back in those days, it was it was a battle, and, you know, and racing hard. I think that was probably the one. I think he raced Jeff Burton pretty hard. Yeah, there at the end. So just the adrenaline from doing that in the Martinsville is just just fun. It's like a bull ring. Yeah. So getting started, you came here and you were kind of just a tire changer and a mechanic on the car, and then you eventually worked your way into a crew chief role. Uh, what was that like? And when, and when did you get that, that call to, to kind of move up and be the crew chief? Those years in, in 2000, they actually, Kyle was coming back. We built the building in the back, 98, 99. had the extra other team there and they had honestly, they told me I was going to crew chief Kyle's car until about three weeks later when, when Robbie went to the 24. So that's why I moved back over to John. Okay. So it, it just circumstances and this sport circumstances and things happen and it just, you take them and you run with them. So it was really, you know, sort of a, 
went from being a two-car deal with 43 and 44, and I think Bobby Leslie or something stayed on and did the 44. But year 2000 was a tough year for us with, you know, family. Just mm -hmm. we lost Adam, we lost Lee. Just a lot of things there right in the month of May. We were switching from, we ran Pontiac that year. We were switching to Dodge in 2001. So it, 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 we had a great group of guys, but it was just a, it, it was extremely amount of fun. But when you look back at it, it was just a lot going on. If that year was, that was nuts. So, it's the year I was born. Yeah. Yep. That was the year yep. Thad was born. <laughs> you were born. Do you remember any of that, Thad? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a rhetorical question. But. Robbie went to Jeff in 2000, but you knew you were getting a crew chief spot at that time. When are you told you're, you're somewhere around chief? that Thanksgiving time? Probably. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, like you mentioned 2000, you're, you're in the swing of it and yeah. know, Lee unfortunately passes away. And then, you know, Adam has his, um, yep. his wreck, but um, John was your driver. Was there yep. chemistry from the year before with you? Today? Yeah, yeah, we'd been together. So there was, you know, he, he, John would run through a brick wall if you asked him to. And, <laughs> and, and so he, he he was one of those drivers that yeah. you knew you had a pit stop at the end. You tend to go and you put four tires on, you were going to pick up some spots, you know. So you know, there was no doubt when we left that we were going to fight hard and, and, and run for whatever we could get from that standpoint. Like I say, the, the challenges with some of those – those years on the transition with 2000 was, like I say, the Pontiac was on its way out and mm -hmm. the Dodgers, so the focus gets a little distracted. So we had some amazing qualifying runs and different things with John, you know, and different from 2000. And in 2001, we kicked off with the Dodge. A lot of growing pains with that program. Right. Finished second with him at Bristol. And that's probably the maddest I left a racetrack finishing second. Just really? because that's... That's how yeah. close you were to that's, that's, too Yeah, we should have won. We led a lot. We, you know, it just circumstances. And it says a lot for, I mean, you guys going from Pontiac to, to Dodge, That's that's got to be, there's definitely some pressure with, with that because who else was Everham was? Everham come here. They actually worked in the back and, no and did a lot of the R&D back there and Richie and Timmy and Mark's buildings. And and because Ray didn't even have a building when mm -hmm. he started that. So, so wow. we, we worked hard with those guys. Very cool. So you're with John. How long are you crew chiefing with John? Through 2002 sometime or something. And then okay. we just, there's a lot of things happening. Like say, I think, you know, different people come in and Robin had come in at Pemberton and stuff, and mm -hmm. we, you know, switched up some things. So we moved around. We had three cars and we went to two cars and I sort of played a competition director role, tried to corral three people, three teams into <laughs> one team and, you know, a lot of those things were happening in those years with Hendrick and with Gibbs and all that. Everybody was expanding from single car teams to multi car teams and trying to to harness that from, uh, you know, just having that many. At that point in time, when we had three teams here, there was two or three hundred people wandering around here. Fab Shop was in Thomasville, so there's, it took a lot more direction from people overseeing things than it did when it was a one car team when you know we were setting it up on a plate and 30 yards over there they were building the next car on a surface plate you know so completely different atmosphere when you go into the multi-car teams from what we had from where you were at petty enterprises back in the day and then you just recently were at Stuart haas a few years ago what have you seen like the biggest differences like growth wise in the sport or 
just what are things that stick out to you from what you did here in Level Cross to what you did in Concord with Stuart Haas just a few years ago? And I always tell people the racing, when they throw the green flag, it's still a race. And I don't care what kind of car it is, what it is, it's, you, you still have to, you have to perform from the time they throw the flag until the time they throw the checker flag. So it doesn't matter what type of car, what kind of circumstances are thrown at you. You have to be the best at overcoming that. The preparation, the style of racing, and just other things have changed over the years where you, it used to be you had to go qualify for the race and make the show or they'd send you home. You know, that, that doesn't happen today on, on that scale. There are some non-charter teams that can get sent home. So they're back there fighting for their life. But that was the norm for anybody back in the day. And now it's really more about preparation at the shop and, and things, you know, from that standpoint, and just a lot bigger atmosphere than it was when it was just small, single car. Well, because now, I mean, you go and you like you don't have happy hour and you don't have the practice before, or before qualifying and you don't change motors. No. You know, I mean, it's just totally different. Like if we do get practice, it's, 30, 45 minutes, and then you're qualified. Yeah. So so it's definitely a whole lot different now than it was back yeah. then. A lot more done at the shop and a lot more technology put into it. The more the downforce came into play, it, it requires more paying attention to those details versus back in the older years, there was a lot more gray areas to play in. So different teams got there different ways by yeah. how they pushed the rules, right? One, yeah. one, one team might push chassis rules better for their driver and one team might play the arrow game better but everybody got to the end result right so in 2008 you know petty enterprises pretty much closes its doors you were still here when that happened but you know as sad as that might have been petty enterprise shut down petty's garage comes out of that it's like the phoenix from the ashes <laughs> you had a big part in petty's garage you still do but where did the idea come from? Who who was involved? Who were the players besides yourself? When we left with the race team, we took darn near everything. I mean, equipment, machinery. There was not much that, that we didn't really take when we moved. There was a couple of people that didn't travel. We had a bus sprinter that a lot of people rode back and forth and, and did different things when we moved. And then, but when that stopped, I still lived here. The shop would have been sitting empty for a year and it was full of just stuff that just boxes and I don't know where it, where it came from. Just old things got sort of moved in, but there was a few surface plates and a little bit of equipment that we didn't take. So really there was two or three guys that were here that were painting some cars for Richard, doing some stuff for the museum and not a lot of other than personal stuff. I thought about it. We had gotten close with the um, Dodge group. We were still racing Dodges at the time. And the turnkey drag racing cars were very popular. Dodge had the, the body in white, but they didn't have a turnkey one. Ford had a turnkey car. We actually went to Dodge and we we're going to try to build the turnkey cars out of here. The economy crashed on Dodge also, so that didn't come out of it. So we, we in turn went into the streetcar side with the aftermarket performance parts and the the signature series vehicles. But it worked out, I mean, because Dodge Challenger, which, you know, they, they discontinued. The, it was brand new in 2008, 2008 2009. Yeah. So the, the timing couldn't have been more perfect for, 
the garage to start. Yeah, the first year cars we did, we supercharged and had all that. So we had 650 horsepower challengers in 2009 to compete with like your Shelby Mustang or a, or a Roush car. So mm -hmm. it was it was exciting, you know, for for challengers, owners and Dodge and, and all those things at that time for that. All right, shifting gears a little bit, we'll go back to the garage. Let's talk about Thad. So, you know, obviously you've you've known Thad since he was a little kid, mm -hmm. since he was born. 2010, 11, we took you out. John Hayworth and I, we took you out <laughs> into the parking lot out front with two cones yeah. and strapped him and Harrison in, I guess they were little quarter midget, quarter midget cars yeah. that somewhere your dad had wrestled up somewhere and we – we stuck them both in the car that Thad barely fit. He was a little husky boy back at that time. I was, I was. <laughs> we squeezed him down in there, and he ran circles out in the front parking lot for, for a while. Yep, that was it. <laughs> you remember that? that? Yeah, <laughs> after that, it was hooked. I think Harrison knocked the fence down in the front yard yeah, a couple man. times, man. There was like a little gravel spot out yeah, there, and every right. time you hit it, you got loose. And Brian, John, and myself, yeah, watched him turn his first laps out in the front parking lot. Unbelievable. With two cones as our racetrack. Two cones. <laughs> Fast forward, I mean, so, you know, Thad, you had a little bit of a time between that to your late model stuff. Right? A little bit of a time. It's like half my life at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I ran, the, I ran the quarter midget stuff. And I had never raced that competitively, actually. I, I mean, I like I practiced a couple times, and I did the deal out here. And then Grandma got sick, yep. and that put a halt to my racing stuff. And so then I got a go-kart, and once again, John Hayworth took me to Liberty. And uh, we unloaded, and neither of us knew what we were doing, but we did it. And we went out there and sat on the pole, our first go-kart race, got wrecked, led all the laps, and got wrecked coming to the checkered flag off of four. But from there, we raced go-karts for a year and a half, two years, and then got up with Mike Cheek, and I ran with him in the late model stuff and some Marcus stuff for a couple of years, and then on to David Gillen. And yep. then this year, I was back working with Greg again. So I know it could be because for the audience, Greg, had, Greg left the garage, went to Stuart Haas, and then you went to Roy Hill, and yep. then you came back. Yep. And that was 2022, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are reunited from from in the parking lot with good old go-karts to Trans Am deal. So Greg comes back like last summer, and I know of Trans Am, but I don't know a whole lot about it. And uh, Greg has this connection with the Legacy Group, Scott Legacy and his family, and he's been helping them for a couple years. And he goes to my dad and he says, hey, what do you think about running Thad in the TA2 series next year? And so somehow they just told me that I was going to drive the TA2 car, and I said, sounds good to me. <laughs> what did you think about that, Greg? I had helped Scott Laggis and him for a year and a half or two years, which John Hayworth pulled me down that path and then uh, went and helped him with Sam Mayer, and Connor Mozak was learning at that time and doing stuff. And it, it's really fun racing. It's a little bit like racing back in the 90s on the NASCAR side. That It's a lot easier, a lot more laid back. But the cars are extremely, I think, fun to drive. I've yeah. not driven one, but they're, <laughs> yeah. and they're very similar to what you would call an Xfinity car or, or, or a stock car, right? It's yeah, I mean, it's the same transmission. You have a little less horsepower, but you're still on a radial tire. Yep. You got that Good big arrow. wing on the yep. back. Yeah, you got arrow. Arrow's a big deal. Even on the road courses, I didn't even realize this year 
that arrow was such a big deal on the road courses, but it definitely was, especially those places like Road America where you're going fast for a long time in a straight line. I mean, it makes a big difference. It's like running down the front stretch at Pocono or something, you know. So definitely a cool series to be a part of. And and once again, it was like 40-plus cars. I mean, the least we raced with was like 32 this year. So it was like a, a stacked field every time we went out and ran. And it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. What I took away the most from it, you know, is is that I could go back and watch what I did every single lap. And so that was very helpful to me as a driver to be able to go back and, and see, man, I really messed up my shift right there. Or how, I don't know how many nights me and Greg took the computer back to the hotel room and, <laughs> and watched our messed up qualifying run or practice and laps. Lo- and locked him out of the hotel room, right? Isn't that what you guys did? In Lime Rock? <laughs> yeah. Didn't that you? was not a hotel. You really, you really <laughs> screwed that Greg was a bed there. and breakfast. It was a bed, bed and breakfast. <laughs> even worse. It was a bed and breakfast, and there was a door code for the front door, and for some reason Greg could not find the door code, and he called at 1 o'clock in the morning. You were asleep. And I was asleep. Poor Greg, man. <laughs> woke, sacrifice. Woke Greg. Out to, walked out to the car the next morning, and Greg was sitting there in the car. <laughs> I felt that, so bad, that, man. That's something I have to bring up, and I've heard it from a lot of people around here. Greg is, gosh, you'll sleep anywhere, man. You'll you'll work till the break of dawn, but you don't. The legacies will too, so that's why I was there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but even here, well, I mean, I Brian. Agree, so I'm not the only dumb one. There's Brian, more has, Brian has said he he found you in a truck out here sleeping. This was back in the day, and it just that story reminded well, me. Of well, that. we left the racetrack at like. I don't know, six o'clock, five o'clock that <laughs> night. And Greg said, I'll be there in a couple hours. Yeah, a couple and so, hours turned to 1 a.m. Yeah, so it got to be like nine o'clock. And I texted Greg. I was like, you okay? He's like, yep, still working. <laughs> I was like, all right, he's all good. I went to bed. Still working. Yep. He showed up around 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., somewhere yeah. in there. The cars were going straight to Detroit. Yeah. So we prepped a little bit and before everything loaded and headed oh, to yeah. Detroit. What's it like having Greg in your ear with with the TA stuff? I think it's good. I mean, it's helpful. He has a lot of knowledge for sure. He knows a lot more about the racing stuff than I know from from that standpoint as far as working on stuff, crew chiefing the stuff, calling the race, kind of telling me what I need to do at certain times, kind of telling me who's catching me, who I'm catching, where the leaders are running, what they're doing, maybe a little different. But the road course stuff is so hard because – he can't see everything. Sure. So we ran into a lot of problems this year where I'd be two miles away from him on the other side of the track and we'd be talking to each other and couldn't hear each other. It, or It definitely – that's the things that I like about that series, though, is you don't – everybody doesn't have a spotter. you got to have mirrors. you got to be self-aware of where you're at, where they're at. I think it helps them as a driver – be more aware of what their surroundings are, you know, no different than guys that drive late models and sprint cars. Yeah. You can hear where that guy's at, you know, where his left front tire is by how loud it is or something. So let him learning that thing versus a spotter driving you around the racetrack from day one. It, it, I think that's good from just learning and, and the road course stuff, especially too. every corner is different. And halfway through the race, it's different because they put down oil and speedy dry and everything else. So as a driver, he's constantly just learning constantly. And for me this year, I mean, it was 90% learning. Like we went to Road America. I'd never seen the place. We got like 
three laps of practice the first practice, four or five the second practice, and then we go out there to qualify, and the track's got oil all over it. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a learning experience for me. I start, I took the green flag with like 10 total laps on the racetrack, and we ended up running in eighth that day. I mean, yeah. it was a good, solid day. We, what we did good this year, especially towards the end of the year, was like make the most of our day. No, we weren't out there winning races and sitting on poles every weekend, but – we got to where we were consistently top 10, top 5 team every week and uh, showed a lot of growth. For me, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about road course racing. When I went to the Legacies, my shifts were bad and my braking was <laughs> awful. I mean, it was like, it was like almost like I didn't know how to drive a car. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we unloaded at New Orleans in January and I ran like four laps or something. I come in, we watch the video. Every time a senior's watching the video, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, you can just see him, you know, clenching up, man. My downshifts were rough. And so they coached me a lot and coupled with Greg. I mean, he, yeah. he definitely critiqued a lot of my stuff. And then we just grew as a group. I grew a lot as a driver. I don't know if they could say that they grew a whole lot as a group because of me, but I definitely grew a lot as a driver. From an outsider's perspective, I think at each one of you, I mean, you guys did a really fine job last year. I, I saw the growth from a, a spectator and, you know, casual fan. I, I was not familiar with T2 series too much, but it looks like you guys had a lot of fun. You grew bonding with each other with, with the legacies. It's a solid group of guys for sure. So, Greg, whereas we're winding down, this this guy's going truck racing this year. Yep. What's your advice to him? Yep. You just don't make mistakes and learn and get what you can get out of it, right? That's what yeah. we what we've learned through all that is is – the mistakes, especially on the truck races, are short. You know, and, and you don't have all the practice, so you know, take every bit of a learning experience you can get, whether it's data and sim time and all that. Now is important because you don't get the track time. Yeah. So it's just uh, and don't make mistakes. That's that'll be the, the key to getting better. Everyone run all the laps. Yeah, I I agree. That's something that at the beginning of the year, especially like with the TA two stuff, it might have not always been our fault, but we just didn't run all laps or we, yeah. we got in the wreck. We got messed up here or there. And sometimes it was my fault. But at the end of the day, if you can just manage your race and yep. run what you're where you're supposed to run. Then. Yep. Whatever the car speed can give you that week, that's what you can get out of it. It's not like you can – unless you can cheat a corner somewhere and chop off a, a second somewhere, half a second. So, Well, I know – I can say as you can say as we're extremely thankful to have you here in Level Cross at Pace Garage. I know we have a really big future ahead with the garage. You got some parts coming along here pretty soon. For yeah, next year. That? Next year should be a, a fun year for us. We've got a good group of people. We've been sort of getting back into the the mode that we wanted to. We're we're performance oriented. We know a lot about suspension and cars and and making them perform and that's what we're going to do this year when we're out on the road running the the different series that are out there for the street cars and different things with our stuff and out there with the guys having fun and making parts that guys need to to run fast on their street cars so we'll definitely be seeing more greg out on the road with the performance tour so you guys definitely check that out that will be up on the petty's garage website pretty soon you have any last questions for him i do Go ahead. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll come back. We could have a whole new session. I know, yeah. Different. No, this has been great. <laughs> We're bringing it back to Level Cross to end all this. What's 
biggest takeaway, biggest learning experience, best memory here. If you could sum it up in one one thought, what what's your biggest takeaway here? And the and the reason I, I, I love this place and want it to do well and be here is because of the people before me that the effort they put in, the craftsmanship, the the attention to detail, Richard, Dale, Lee, all those mechanics and fabricators that put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in here. And that's for us to sort of carry on that tradition and represent it in the same thing. So that's the, the biggest thing that I see and want to keep here. Love it. Well, Greg, that's what Level Cross is about. Amen right? to that. Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yep. A lot of them done it over the years. Yep. And beers. We can't forget about the beers. Now it's our turn. And the Die Mountain Dews. So, not a sponsor, but Moonshine. I know Greg would look for that. But. Wasn't Moonshine. it Moonshine in Level Cross, right? That's true. You said beer. I'm... Well, beer, I mean, trying to rhyme with <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> We're losing everybody at this point. All Greg, right. thank you for yeah, coming yeah, board. Thank Greg, thanks for coming on to Maiden Love Across today. Yep. We, we enjoy talking to you and uh, getting to know a little bit about you. Yep, we'll be here making history every day. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Pristine Auction is the most trusted sports memorabilia and collectibles auction site. Auctions on pristineauction.com start at just $1, and each day, thousands of signed items are available. So you win signed, authentic items at affordable prices. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Pristineauction.com is your one-stop shop for authentic signed diecast, helmets, trading cards, photos, and so much more from your favorite drivers. I've got my eye on this really cool Rex White autograph card. Dad. Fantastic looking piece. Would love to have it in my collection. What are you looking at? Might be a little bit controversial here, but I got my eye on the Dale Earnhardt Sr. signed Kellogg's Cornflakes box. So I think that's a pretty neat auction item, and we'll keep an eye on that one as it as it continues to move forward. So upgrade your collection today and get $10 off your first win using registration code THAD. Again, that's registration code THAD for $10 off your first order. Links are in the show notes. Induction Innovations is a leader in American-made handheld induction tools, home to the original mini doctors. For over 20 years, they have been innovating how mechanics can tackle challenges like Loctite, Rust, and much more. Induction Innovations Mini Ductor Series was meant to free up components quickly using induction heat. The Mini Ductor is designed to help techs cut down on ticket times and say, forget that torch. Induction Innovations. Do it faster, do it better, do it safer. Visit theinductor.com to learn more. All right, Thad, we just got done talking to Greg Stedman, crew chief extraordinaire, CEO of Petty's Garage. What are your thoughts? How'd it go? I could talk to Greg all day, every day, man. I mean, I traveled with him this year. Me and Greg have a pretty good relationship, a good working relationship, and Lauren refers to him as my second dad. So we traveled to the U.S. together this year racing cars. And so uh, getting, to, getting to hang out with him and learn about his past. And, man, he's just really a, a diehard racer. He really lives for just working on cars and racing, just working in general. That's what he's Well, about. you know, Lauren at least calls him your dad at, at work 
everyone says he's my work husband. So, you know, that's a, uh, that's a good, good way to segue into the garage. So, you know, Greg's a huge part of what we do at Petty's Garage. He's probably one of the hardest working individuals I've ever met in my life, both on and off the track. And for as long as we could talk here, I cannot say how grateful we are. I know you are as well, the family for Greg. Absolutely incredible person. Really blessed to have him on board. I wanted to talk a few things about Greg. So I want to hear your thoughts about this. I'm definitely taking this data out of context, but I thought it'd be funny just to throw this out in the universe. So I'm looking over his racing reference, Thad. So he's the crew chief for John Andretti, like you said, 2000. His crew chief duties looks like they end with, at 2006 with Bobby Labonte, as he might have said. This guy brought in 14 million bucks. Where's that money, Thad? Where's it uh, at? I don't know. If you Google me, it says uh, from uh, <laughs> your $5 million, right? Harrison was asking. My net worth is uh, uh, over $5 million. So yeah. Harrison looked it up and sent it to me, and I said, Show me the money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he, they're talking about the, the earnings the drivers made, but I'll, I'll ask Greg next week when we're, we're back there and ask him where that 14 million bucks is. You know, another cool thing I saw, I've brought it up a few times with Greg and Greg claims he's got millions of these things back at home. Have you ever seen the Greg Stedman was it Apple Cheerios box? Yeah. You ever seen that? Thing? Yeah. He was, famous, was that? Man. He was a celebrity like in the early two thousands. General Mills used him up. Yeah. We, the hamburger helper helping hand. Helping I have that back at the office. Yeah. Greg's. I'm just like looking at it. Greg looks so stoic here. Like that doesn't even look like Greg on the cereal box. We'll throw that on social so you guys can be the judge. I mean, Greg looks super, super focused. But anyway, very thankful to have Greg. Great interview on the podcast today. But let's jump into some other fun topics here. With that, I was looking over some past articles on you, and because of the season. It's favorite things, right? Have you ever seen The Sound of Music? The Sound of Music? The Sound of Music. No. You ever hear that? No. Julie Andrews? Nope. Wrong no. guy. Wrong guy. <clears throat> Wrong guy. Well, listen, you've probably heard the song, These Are a Few of My Favorite Things, correct? Yep. You ever heard that song? Yep. All right. That's The Sound of Music. I know I'm dating everybody here except you, so we're definitely talking to the wrong audience. But for those who do know what The Sound of Music is, and my favorite things, we're going to segue into an article from three years ago when Thad was an Arca driver, and it's titled, A Few of Thad Moffat's Favorite Things, and I wanted to ask you how true these are today. So are you ready? Yeah. All right. You're in the, uh, you're in the chair now, boy. This was So one of the questions was, if you could go anywhere, where would it be? And I, I, what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to see if you guess the answer that you had given to the interviewer for this article and see if anything's changed, okay? So the first question was, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? If I could go anywhere in the world, where would I go? And I'm sorry, this was the lamest answer I've ever – I mean, unless someone's really into doing what they do at this place, which could sound very wrong in a lot of contexts, but – do you remember what you said? No, it was probably like Baden Lake or something or Wyoming. 
<laughs> no, uh, more west. I thought it was going to be something exotic or, or um, more west. You know, international. Yeah, it's farther west than Baden Lake. Is it wild? All right, I'm keeping the audience in suspense. So you had said Aspen, Colorado. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. Gosh. Well, you said Aspen, Colorado. I for skiing purposes of all things. I know you do ski. Yeah. But that makes sense. Just blew, I never been. blew my mind. Man. Yeah. Why did you say Aspen, Colorado back Probably then? Probably to go skiing and snowboarding. I was really big into that right before COVID. And then I didn't do it for a while, but I still do it when I can. Have you ever been there? Nope. Well, listen, man, there's always time. All right. Here's another thing. Here's another favorite thing to do, right? Race cars. What do you think your favorite thing was to What was that? Race cars. Race cars. Yeah. Well, that was kind of, kind of true, but more along iRacing, but something trumped iRacing. Do you know what that would have been? Puzzles, man. Puzzles. Puzzles. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I like doing puzzles. You don't like doing puzzles? No, not really. I mean, it's just, I like those big ones for like toddlers. Are you sure sure that question was like, what's your favorite thing to do? I'm paraphrasing a lot of the interview and, and trying to use it for our segment here, but apparently your mom had brought a lot of puzzles back. Like, what are some things that you have done? Like, you're changing the wording on me. You get a different answer if you change the wording on me, Roland. Who's asking the questions here? All right, next one. Your least favorite class in high school. Do you remember what that was? This should be pretty easy for My you. My least favorite class? Yeah. Um, science or history? It was English class. Oh, so what's the deal, man? Yeah, English was rough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, math was always easy to me, but PE was easy too, but the rest of it was, was I, hard. You, you do mention that in this article. So pre-race meal with anybody in the world besides family members. Who was that? Do you remember that? No. Right now, it'd probably, you need a- right now it'd probably be Gene uh, George. Uh, okay. Yeah. We can do it anytime. I'm not a celebrity, so who 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 can you call that you said? I don't know, Tim Tebow. Yeah, there you go. You got one right, man. Like so it's Tim Tebow. Yeah, I like Tim Tebow. He's a good man. I'm guessing that's when he had his what was it a Thunderbird done at the garage? Well he had his Thunderbird done like a few years prior to that, but I just like okay. I just like watching his uh videos and keeping up with him and how strong he is in his faith, like in everything he does. I think it's really cool. Okay. All right. So you got one of them. So we all know what your first car is. When, if people don't know what your first car is, it was a, it was a Camaro six cylinder. Uh-huh. Very impressive. What was your favorite car or what is your favorite car? What is my favorite car right now? My new truck. That's an excellent answer. Action 46 Customers Bank Daytona truck is my favorite car ever right now. <laughs> That's an excellent answer. You really didn't give one, though. I, I mean, you kind of acted like the Camaro was going to be your favorite, but I was just curious if you had a favorite car like, besides, of course, the Action 46 truck. If I had to pick like an older model car, I really like the 69 Camaro. I think they always look cool. Like You can paint them purple and they look cool or pink and they look cool. It's just a cool-looking car, but... I'm not a big, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I necessarily have like one favorite car. Like I think all of it's cool. I like Grant, okay. Grant at the shop, you know, like if you ask him like, what's your favorite car? He's going to pull up like five different pictures of 
some minivan that he saw. Well, Grant's a strange dude, so you know we'll give him that. No, we love Grant. Grant's awesome. I, I love Grant's taste of vehicles. He and I have very similar tastes that a lot of people may not like, like minivans and station wagons. But all right, moving on. I know this is this is very uh, painful for you. I can tell from your face. But pre-race ritual. What was your? Do you have a pre-race ritual? have a pre-race ritual yeah we pray before every race my family and i but other than that i don't know in 2020 i would have been racing in my first year with dgr so i would have came from grumpy got you what did i have that i did there pennies i had we had pennies. well you you mentioned eating a big breakfast oh i do eat that yeah like race, day. but is that a ritual? <laughs> no, I don't know if that's really a ritual. But like pre, like race day, I will eat like a big breakfast and then not eat lunch because Walter right. was testing with Grandpa one time, and he had just ate a sandwich, and I guess like he didn't chew his sandwich good enough, and he hit the wall and it came up, and he started like choking, and they had to save him. Yeah, I'm serious. What do you mean? He was racing? I, yeah, I don't testing. know. You got to tell the audience testing, story. Testing, not racing. Testing. Oh, testing. Oh, yeah, but still, he's in a vehicle. He's in a stock car. Yeah, right? and he had ate a sandwich like an hour before or whatever, and it didn't digest, I guess, or he like he didn't chew it up enough. And when he hit the wall, his sandwich came up, got stuck, and dude, he was like choking. Like he would have died. Michael Waltrip? Michael Waltrip, we're talking about. Oh, Daryl Walter. Yeah. So now we have to get DW on the podcast to clarify this. When when was this? Was this back in the 80s? Yeah, I don't know. I just know that when I started racing, Grandpa would be like, hey, don't eat nothing. I'm like, just just be careful what you eat like an hour before you go out there. <laughs> and so I just got to where I would just eat like a big breakfast and not eat any lunch at all. But it sounds like he just threw up. I mean, it's not like – did he does, does Jaws not chew his food? I don't know, man. I we got to ask DW then. You know, like. I'm fascinated, man. I'm going to be hung up on this now for the rest of the day. I don't know, man. Do you think DW I've never heard that story, but I believe you. Well, I mean, if the king says it happened, then it happened. Probably, but. Okay. And then here was the last question from your 2020 ARCA interview. Chandler Smith wanted to know your thoughts on Panda Express. Have they changed at all? Have they changed? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't know. I remember what my thoughts were. Do you remember what you said? No, not in 2020. Well, apparently you loved Panda Express. I so I guess the question is, do you yeah. love Panda Express? Yeah. Panda Express is okay. great. Do you not like Panda Express? I know. I, I like Panda Express, too. I am pretty fired up with them. They took the sweet fire chicken off the menu. Screw that, dude. That's like my favorite chicken at Panda Express. Now I have to get the orange chicken and Beijing beef every time we go. Well, kiss that sponsorship goodbye. So, you know, moving on from there, I'm glad you have such strong emotions on on their menu currently. Let's shout out to our friends at Daily Downforce. Josh Wilpowski over there, he did a pretty cool Favorite Things article with you. This happened more recently, so hopefully you remember what you said here, but we'll expand on what you said. So your favorite movie, you pretty much said anything NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, I told him also in the same interview, I told him 
it's either that or like a shoot 'em up movie, like American Sniper or the the Equalizer, like an action movie where they're killing each other the whole time. But if it's not that, then it's like Stroke Race, Talladega Nights, Days of Thunder. Like those are some- so no dramas or rom coms or anything like that. No, I mean you think I do? I look like a rom com guy. Well, I'll, I'll jump ahead. You said your favorite actor or the person you wanted to play was Matthew McConaughey, who was like the rom com legend from the early two thousands. So. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, I said, would be cool to play me. I don't know if he would be the best fit is also what I said in that interview. Because, I mean, like, Matthew McConaughey is cool. But I remember him. He, did, he didn't just do rom-coms. He did some cool stuff, man. He took his job really serious. Like, I take my job really serious. That's why I thought he'd be a good fit. Like, somebody- you're, you're too young, but that he definitely started with rom-coms. Yeah, he probably did. But, I mean, he did that gold movie. That was pretty cool. That's what you remember? Gold? No, I, all of them, dude. You just gotta Interstellar. L I V I N. Oh, boy. All right, all right, all right. Listen, in it, it, we're going to be stuck on Matthew McConaughey because you you're, so, you're so hung up on him, but you got to watch 10 Ways to Lose a Guy, or How to Lose a Guy in 10, get, 10 Days. I've seen that. Okay. You, you don't like that? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. It's... That's a perfect movie to, to sit with your, your lady friend and, and, and just enjoy it. You don't agree? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. We'll have to get Lauren on the podcast and see what her thoughts are on that movie. Okay. Next question. It's, it's a universally enjoyed movie, but dude, you, you brought up the Matthew McConaughey thing. You brought okay? up Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Play the tape. Play the tape. All right. Favorite athlete outside of racing. You said Jordan Spieth. Yep. I like Jordan Spieth. He's cool. He's uh, really good in high-pressure situations, and he's just cool, calm, and collected, and just kind of does his own thing all the time. And then, like, I followed that answer up with, it's hard to pick, like, a favorite NFL athlete right now. I don't have one specific guy that I, I just absolutely love, or same with MLB, or, I mean, even NASCAR at this point. Well, besides Tim Tebow, have you ever met any pretty famous athlete before? Yeah, a lot of them. MJ, really? like ninety percent of the NASCAR field I've met at some point. They're pro- professional. They don't count, athletes, right? <laughs> They're your peers. I'm surprised. Do you, do you like John Daly at all? That guy's like a legend. I've never met John Daly, but yeah, I like John Daly. I think he's cool, but is he still a professional athlete, or he just kind of plays when he's not? drinking john daly does what john daly wants to do yeah that's what i was thinking okay so food let's go back to pan express the the great debate there because you're i guess you're you're pretty angry with them no I'm not, I mean, something from- their menu needs to be changed back to sweet fire chicken it's just a simple request we'll write to their corporate office here as soon as we're done here but your your favorite food is filet steak is that is that I it i would say that yeah i would I would say that it's tough for me to pick a favorite food because I'm so diverse in what I eat, I guess. Like, I'll eat anything, like sushi. Like, I'm not the, I'm not a picky eater at all. I'll try anything at least once. But I think when he asked, he said, okay, then what's something you could eat, like, every single day? And I was like, full of You said steak. Yeah. How do you like your steak cooked? Medium rare. All right. Good answer, man. Good answer. Good. It is a good answer. <laughs> Fantastic answer. Well, that's all I got for you with the favorite things, man. I thought we'd have a little fun with that. 
go over some of these articles, compare, compare notes, see how your answers have changed, which I think overall the segment was in a complete failure because it was just so discombobulated, but we'll let the audience decide. Why was it discombobulated? I mean, the main things <laughs> are that we're talking about Matthew McConaughey and yeah, but he's going to play me like when the, if they ever made a movie, like if I had a cars movie, like grandpa does at some point in my life, I would want Matthew McConaughey to play me. Okay. Or to, what, what about Tom Cruise? How old is Tom Cruise now though? He's probably by the time you get a movie deal, Tom Cruise will probably be in a nursing home. So yeah, that's facts. Wishful thinking though. I admire you for that. Maybe I should have just done like Zac Efron or someone. Zac Efron, High School Musical. This is going swimmingly. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. <clears throat> Ed Sheeran, you are the American. I should Sheeran. have done Ed Sheeran. That makes the most sense. I'm telling you, one day we'll get him to call in. Okay. We're not call What's in. What's next? Eugene George. Uh, Caitlin's going to have to edit us all out right here. So let's just take a Oh, yeah. Big time. What, what are we doing? She's cracking up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right back to you. So if, if she thinks that that's funny, maybe she should just air this. And, <laughs> and, like, people are like, shut this shit off. No, I'm not kidding, dude. Like, Landon Huffman's podcast, like, I was starting to listen to it. And, like, they just ramble on. Like, they don't. Oh, I know. Well, I, they're the podcast I like. They really are because it just sounds like someone's having a conversation. Yeah, they're just sitting there like, man, I gave up drinking beer. Three weeks later, I drank a beer. I guess I'll try again. Like, it's just a yeah. casual conversation. And I guess if you don't like this podcast, then go go listen to who, who, who's who's our biggest competitor right now. Everybody. Door bumper clear. You know, Everybody. If you don't like this podcast, just don't listen. Nobody's making you listen. <laughs> Turn it off. I mean, we're not asking you to be here. Or we're not forcing you to be here. We're not asking you to be here. What else you want to talk about? I don't know, man. How much more do we get? What's your favorite farm animal? What's my favorite what? Farm animal. Buffalo. Buffalo. Mine's a chicken. Is that a farm animal? A buffalo? Worse. A buffalo is a farm animal compared to a chicken. No, I said, where is a buffalo a farm? But listen, I, I, I gave you a buffalo for a farm animal. Okay, that's very generous. Okay. And now you're questioning chicken for a farm. Well, animal? I ask if they don't know. Who do you know? Do you know Old McDonald had a farm? Do you know that song? Did at any point did he ever say Old McDonald had a buffalo? What does the buffalo sound like? A chicken says. What does a chicken say? Doodle do. Is they that what in here said they don't know who Eugene is. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know who Eugene they is. They will by the time that we get to episode ten of this podcast. They'll know who Eugene is. Eugene is a very troubled individual. Okay, so hopefully he doesn't ever come on this podcast. What next? So, you know, farm animals, we agree to disagree on buffalo. I, dude, I like this favorite things thing. Okay. You, okay, then you, let, me, you gotta watch let me go. It. Let me go. I got next. Let me go. Go. I got next. <laughs> Eugene, what your favorite Christmas movie with this time of year? If you had to single out one Christmas movie, what would it be? 
Christmas vacation. I agree wholeheartedly. You got to go wholeheartedly vacation. Did you did you see that? There's a, there was there was an Instagram reel of I guess Fox asking NASCAR drivers what their favorite movie was, and I was blown away that I think Denny Hamlin was maybe two other people. Denny Hamlin, Alex Bowman were the only ones to say Christmas vacation. Do you know what the every other driver was saying? What? Elf. 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 Yeah. Now your grandpa, your grandpa said Christmas Story, which that is a great movie. Yeah. Um, I think your what did Uncle your Uncle Kyle say? I think he said It's a Wonderful Life, which is a good movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. But it was Elf, Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation. Somebody said a Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll have to go back to see who said that. What else is there? There 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 is something else that oh, Die Hard. Are you one of those guys who thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie? No. No. No, I don't think so either. Dad, what's your favorite St. Patrick's Day movie? There's no such thing. Angel's Ashes. That's my favorite St. Patrick. Doesn't make sense. Fourth of July movie. What's that? I am a leprechaun. You you're like the fast Seamus. You ever watch WWE? Alright, we need to finish this deal. Yeah. Let's let's finish it, man. You keep yapping along. Okay, well, that was a fun segment, Thad. I hope everyone else enjoyed it. Favorite things. We'd love to know what your favorite things are, so make sure you hit us up in those comment sections, wherever this podcast is broadcasted, in the social channels and all that good stuff. You know what I wanted to do? I know you had shown interest, too. We'd love to answer some of your questions. If you have any questions for Thad, hit up the Maiden Level Cross podcast pages on Facebook and Instagram and shoot us your question there. Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Made in Level Cross Podcast. And follow me personally at Thad Moffitt on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to like and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to.